0: Yesterday we also heard about Dr. Jane Sullivan, and She's a cross-disciplinary researcher focusing on human ecology and sustainability. Uh, she had other experiences, but today we will talk about population in a more deep way than yesterday. Is that right? Thank you. Um, yes, I hope everyone was at yesterday's session where I showed the data demonstrating that population growth is not fixing itself and that it has a very great deal to do with whether countries flourish economically or not. In this session I want to explore more the mechanisms of the economic drag of population growth and address some of the contentious issues around the um, Australia's population growth discourse. So yesterday I got into trouble for talking mainly about high fertility countries where most people have different skin color than me. And I must say it struck me as a racist um, objection <laughs> because I didn't see that in them. I, I saw them as stakeholders, the people who have the most at stake. Um, today I'm going to get into trouble for talking about immigration. And I know there are people again who will want to make that an issue of skin colour. But if Australia wants to address its responsibilities and um, custodianship over its natural ecosystems and endemic species. Oh, excuse um, me, could you just move over this way more because yeah, I am not what you Oh, sorry. I can change the slides for you if you want to the yeah, the um, problem that we've got the, the slides over controlled over there. Um, is there. Is there a trademark? Oh, I see. Actually, we didn't. And and, no, that's no. Yeah, we'll just go ahead with this and I'll try to raise my voice. But if you can't hear, just wave your arms and I'll remember so to just get what? more. My voice isn't very... Um, doesn't carry very well. So... Um, and also to improve the lot of disadvantaged people in this country, including recent immigrants, then immigration does need to reduce. So so to start with a bit of context, thanks, Hayden. Um, Australia's population growth is extraordinarily high for a developed country. It's higher than the global population growth. But about 14 years ago, thanks, Hayden, um, our growth rate was almost doubled due to (laughs) federal government policy settings. And the baby bonus and the associated rhetoric about having one for the country added about 50,000 extra births per year, and immigration was increased by about 150,000 per year. These were not demand driven changes, they were mainly property developer driven changes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, We're here to talk about, oh, and this is just a chart to show that while Australia's population growth has been very high, the countries that have had shrinking populations have not actually been doing badly on the whole. Um, some better than others, but some of them outstripping us in terms of growth in GDP per capita. So we can talk about the new economy that doesn't increase its impact on the planet constantly, and stabilising population is an absolute requirement for this. But I'm arguing that it's not an afterthought, it's a prerequisite and it will drive a lot of the other desirable changes. In, uh, that New Economics wants to achieve. So these are a few of the things that we can look forward to and they're all interconnected. And the one that I didn't put on this list but it's really important for this conversation is about reducing the amount of materials that we consume, that we draw into the human project and making a circular economy possible. Because if we're adding people, there is an absolute requirement to be recruiting um, physical resources going on, better prospects for employment um, and the recent negative trends in terms of wages, youth unemployment, um, job security and um, poor prospects for advancement uh, have a lot to do with businesses having an unlimited number of prospective employees, either through immigrant labour or by offshoring jobs. Um, next, improving housing affordability. And every country with a near-stable population and limited foreign access to the real estate market has a stable or falling housing costs. And we have to be unequivocal here. Housing inflation is a major social disaster in this country. It's driving a new geographic separation of classes and a new enslavement by debt bondage. Um, and next one, more of what we spend will be spent on employing other people. And this is the redistributive function of the economy that Kate Raworth talked about yesterday. So distribution of wealth will steadily improve and levels of services that we can afford at any particular income will also improve. And finally, less government debt, despite having better delivery of services and infrastructure. And this is because building infrastructure is, to cope with population growth, is a humongous cost, Um, far more than the taxes that the additional people pay, and that is what has blown out state government budgets and caused austerity programs that have withdrawn funding from things like Legal Aid and Women's Shelters and tertiary Education. Um, Moving on, thanks. So here's a technical bit to try and explain how it is that population growth costs so much. And the point is that we spend a lot of our total economic activity on building long-term, durable stuff, which support our modern way of life. And this includes not only infrastructure, but um, also equipment and personnel training, and housing is included in infrastructure. Um, So how much we need to do this is Proportional to its durability, the longer things last, the less of them we have to replace every year. So the replacement rate is the reciprocal of their working life. Um, so if power stations last for about 50 years, sorry, I was a bit fewer, um, we need to build about 2% of our stock per year to, to maintain a steady supply. If buses last for about 10 years, we have to buy 10% of the fleet per year to maintain the fleet. Um, if nurses work for 25 years, it's 4% of the nursing workforce that we have to graduate every year to replace retirees. But if we're suddenly adding 1% population growth, we've gone from 2% to 3% of our stock of power stations that we have to build in one year. So that's a 50% increase on the amount of money and effort and materials that we spend on power stations. If the, the, the fleet has to go from 10 to 11% purchasing, that's a 10% increase. And for the nurses, it's a 25% increase in the, the rate at which we have to graduate them. So all of those things are really expensive. But a lot of people say, moving on, that it it's okay because infrastructure is an investment, and investment, you know, will pay off, pay themselves off down the track. So we can just borrow the money, and it doesn't matter how much they cost. So what we have to understand is that building capacity to keep pace with the same level of provision per capita for an increase in population is not an investment, it's a recurrent cost, it's just running to stand still. So our recurrent costs are made up of the maintenance plus the expansion. And if on top of that, we can actually improve provision per capita, that's an investment. And that might justify debt funding and will pay itself off over time. Um, But mostly we are, Failing to keep pace Oops, sorry. That's right, that's good. Yep. Um failing to keep pace with the population growth. So we either end up with an infrastructure deficit or a budget deficit because we borrowed money to, to build what we can't afford. Um, and the next year the deficit just gets bigger. There's no point in time where this turns around and starts paying for itself. It just accumulates over time because we're not keeping pace with growth because it is a recurrent cost. So debt financing this is not going to get us out of this hole. So the quantity of this is um, a humongous amount of money. It's about 65 to 7% of GDP that we need to expend to equip 1% population growth rate. So if Australia is growing at 1.6% population growth rate, that's around 11% of our GDP or $190 billion per year. Um, which equates to about half a million dollars per person that we add to our population, whether that's a third child or an immigrant, or I should say a net immigrant, because we also have immigration, and we can have tens of thousands of immigrants coming here every year with net zero immigration. Um, And if we have lower fertility, we can afford to have more immigrants. So the argument about you know needing more babies to get up to two per person is, is really um, a xenophobic argument in my mind. The, that's the total cost to society. About a quarter of it is public costs. So that's over a hundred thousand pe- dollars per person that we add. Um, the rest of it's made up in either people taking out mortgages or tightening their belts and not consuming. Stuff that they would, otherwise consume because they're paying for the stuff that they need to equip themselves. Um, in the meantime, nature is being displaced, non-renewable resources are being consumed, and pollution is increasing for no per capita gain. Um, and we've talked about housing affordability. So, is there a forecase that that justifies this? Thanks, Henry. Um, so. I just wanted to finish with a range of sources of contention in the Australian um, population debate. And I'm just really going to list them because there's a whole conversation about each one of them. But basically, um, below replacement fertility, people think it's a disaster and we have to boost the births until we've got two per woman. It doesn't mean that our population is shrinking. And we can safely aim for 1.5. average family size because that's two for everybody who wants any Um, and it would allow our growth to taper off and then allow us to either decline um, gracefully and manageably or to have more immigrants. Secondly a state of population policy has virtually nothing to do with refugees and it's really frustrating to have the conversation constantly shut down by an emotive tirade about refugees when they are such a small number that we can easily accommodate them within an immigration program that's compatible with a stable population. Um, And thirdly, the immigration debate is not a choice between open borders or nobody coming. It is about deciding what quotas we want and what criteria to choose from the vast surplus of people who are wanting to come to this country. So it's about tweaking policy. Um, Next, the Skilled Migration quota is not about addressing skills shortages. If we had skills shortages in this country, IT and nursing graduates would be snapped up. Um, People wouldn't be doing unpaid internships. The salaries would be increasing faster than inflation and wages share of GDP would not be declining. And mines would not be turning away local people in favor of FIFO workers. So we do not have a shortage of skills in this country. Worker immigration is for three reasons. It's to push down wages, it's to sell real estate and mortgages, and it's to attract international students. And everything else is a cover story. Um, we, okay, we can't alleviate population pressure in the world by um, immigration. So, Australia's been running the highest per capita immigration rate in the developed world and we receive 0.3% of the global increase in population in that intake every year. The whole developed world receives less than 5% of that increment in global population. So, the other 95% don't have that opportunity. And receiving them diminishes the amount of international aid that is being um, provided to that other 95%. So do we have a greater duty of care over the few relatively privileged people who would be able to migrate to this country or to the many more people who never can? Um, And finally, race, religion and ethnicity, to me, have absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, it's multiculturalism does not need a high rate of immigration and reducing immigration is not going to be sending anybody home or changing the mix of people that is in this country Um, it's more the point that high population growth generates the stresses that fuel intergroup um, resentments and discontent so finally um, I want to pose an ethical question um, to you, is there an ethical case for not supporting population slowdown and a lower peak which allows a greater share of the Earth's sustainable bounties per person? Um, thanks, we just finish with that interesting little slide from um, our Cambridge University economists about how we should be very sceptical about what economists have to say to us. Thanks very much. Thank you.